So I went down to my study to pray this morning, as I do every day and every Sabbath. I got a few paces into my prayer, and God said, boy, I need a change in plans. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you need to write another sermon. I said, another sermon? I looked at my watch, no kidding. I said, I have an hour. Don't worry about the time. I need, you to, I need you to write another sermon. I said, all right, Lord, you're boss. And when you work for God, there isn't a whole lot of arguing you can do. It's just like, okay. So I sat down for an hour. Notes that I'm still getting familiar with came rolling off the computer at the end of that hour, five minutes or whatever. So it wasn't what we were going to have on this last Sabbath of the school year. We'll get to that sermon. There's another Sabbath coming up in Maine. We'll, we'll have it then. And if you're a student and moved away, just watch us on live stream. We'll wrap up that marriage series. But it occurred to me as I was praying, you know, Dwight, that little 11-year-old asked you a question. It's true you were going to go into same-sex marriage and the Pope and you're going to deal with a broad and kind of a global theme, but... That 11-year-old asked you a question. I think you owe it to her to answer the question. So, as humble as it is, she may be watching right now. She may be here. I don't know. I'm going to do my best to answer that question. I said, Dwight, what, what question are you talking about? Well, you, a bunch of you weren't here, I'm sure, last week, so let me just read the letter. It came to me just a few days ago. It says, Dear Pastor, that's my name. The Bible says things against being LGBTQ+. I am bisexual. Does that mean I won't go to heaven? I don't want to put anything before the Trinity, but I also don't want to give up my feelings. Could you do a sermon on God and the LGBTQ plus community? It would help a lot. Thank you very much. God bless. Happy Sabbath. And then a signature that I can't read. Some of us have that problem. P.S. Please forgive any grammar, spelling, or punctuation mistakes. I'm only 11. I gulped. Eleven? You got to be kidding me. Who told her she was bisexual? At eleven? Ah, you know how that stuff happens. Kids at school. Hey, you like boys, don't you? Yeah. You like girls too, don't you? Yeah. You know what that makes you? You are bisexual. Never heard of that before. No, that's what you are. By the way, that's how social media works. Bisexual. That's what you are. An 11-year-old believes it. I'm bisexual. Can I go to heaven? Wow. 
What a question for an 11-year-old to have to be asking. That was a tender letter. And I want to answer that as best I know how. But I dare not move into this answer on pages that are hardly dry yet without talking to Jesus that we just sang about. In his arms, we need to be and stay. Dear Jesus, 11 years old, she's not the only one asking that question. So what's the answer? We have just a few moments together, and as we think out loud together, think with us. May the mighty third person of the Godhead interject his thoughts as well. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you go to heaven if you are bisexual? Yes, you can. Why? Because Jesus loves you, that's why. And if you accept him as your personal savior and you offer him your life, you can trust him to fulfill the greatest promise in the Bible. Let's just put a ver- text that we can all, we can all, we, we, the greatest text in all the Bible, John three sixteen. Come on, let's read it out loud together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's a powerful promise. There's not one caveat attached, attached to it. There's not one, there's not one, uh, well, one condition except if you believe in Jesus. That's it. You'll not perish. You believe in Jesus, you will, you will live forever and ever. Amen. That's the, that's the gospel. We all know it. Now, this, the same writer, John, puts it even more simply in, the, in, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The only, the only precondition here is you have Jesus. That's it. You have Jesus, you have life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You got a problem with that? Is it too simple? No. It's, it's the gospel. It's what, we, it's what we have to keep reminding ourselves is what we grew up with. Of course Jesus loves me. And if I invite Jesus into my life, he will come in and he will offer me a very personal friendship with him. 11-year-old, I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. If you invite him into your life, you got the best days of your life straight in front of you. Because there's a lot more that comes beyond being 11. And you're going to love it. The maker of all things loves and wants me. We've been reminding ourselves all this year. He is our forever friend. Yes, girl, wherever you are, whoever you are, Jesus loves you and me, whoever we are, wherever we are from, and whatever orientation we identify with. He loves me. The Bible does not speak about sexual orientation at all. The Bible has no knowledge of sexual orientation. We invented that in our culture and in our world today. In the Bible, there are only two orientations. Orientation one, sinner. Orientation two, saved. Those are the only orientations the Bible knows. You're either a sinner or you're saved. There's not a third. There's not a fourth. 
They're just two. And we are all, guess what? We are all born into the orientation of sinners. Every single one of us. Don't stare at the person beside you, but you're sitting beside a sinner. Don't, don't look. Just, just kind of understand that. That's the orientation we were born with. And guess what? Our Savior Jesus came down to this earth to become one who was born with our orientation of sinner. He said, that's what I'm going to be because that's who you are. And I'm going to live life like you live it. And I'm going to face life like you face it. And I'm going I'm to, by the grace of my almighty Father, I'm going to be victorious for you so that my victory will be your victory. My triumph will be your triumph. And I'm going to move you from the orientation of sinner. And I'm going to move you into the orientation of saved. Wow, look at this. That's what the book of Hebrews is trying to tell us. And these are two beautiful lines. Don't ever forget these, whether you're 11 years old or not. Don't forget these words. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like you and me, fully human in every way. What is that? How many ways was he fully human? Help, Help me out here. What does it say? Fully human in every way. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement. Talking about Calvary. He might make atonement for the sins of the people. How many here are sinners? Every hand goes up. How many times do you sin? Lost count. But does, does Jesus' death cover my sins? The answer is absolutely. Which sins? All sins. If you were born with the orientation of sinner, I have good news for you. Somebody left heaven and came down to this earth and became just like you and just like me and then beat the devil, beat the devil at his game and gave his life as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. That's why you go two pages over at Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Good news. Good news. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Better news. Because he's been tempted like us, but even better news, he didn't fall like I keep falling. He did not fall. Yet he did not sin, so let us then, oh, I love this, let us approach God's throne of grace as we've been doing this morning in worship with confidence. They just sang about that confidence, with, a, with, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And because Jesus faced all our temptations but was victorious over the devil, we can go to him and we can ask him to give us the same power and the same victory. I'm asking you, is that good news or what? Come on, tell me, is that good news or what? Of course it is. Did Jesus experience sexual temptations like we do? The answer is, but of course. (laughs) Of course he did. Did Jesus experience same gender attraction? We cannot answer that specific question. But I believe it is fair to say that Jesus experienced sexual attraction as we do, or these Bible assurances are really quite meaningless. You're just playing word games with us. Our sexuality 
is an explosive power within us, and we were created with that explosive power. Is sexual attraction a sin? Can't be. Can't be. I had somebody write me and say, well, you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't push that one too hard. It, it, it could be a sin. No, no, no. It cannot be a sin. Jesus experienced attraction. Guess what? He's in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Guess what? The devil shows up at his weakest moment and says, I got three temptations, boy. You're going to love these three. Were they attractive? Yes or no? Of course. If they were not attractive, they would not have been a temptation. (laughs) We call them temptations because they were attractive, hugely attractive to him. Don't tell me that Jesus did not face the full force of attraction. Did Jesus experience attraction? Absolutely. That's why when it comes to sin and sinning, we really need a lot of help from, and power from our Lord Jesus. Our, our minds, our hormones, our chemistry in that, in that wild cocktail that we've been created with explode inside of us. Particularly when you're young. Then you can get real old. There's no problem. There's no explosion. There's no fire. But when you're young... <laughs> I'll just get back at some of you, that's all. (laughs) But when you're young, about 11 or so, or 21 or so, or 41 or so, it doesn't matter what your orientation is. If your orientation is a sinner, you got explosions inside of you. You don't think Jesus was touched by the infirmity of our attractions? Of course he was. Jeremiah asked a question. It's a good question to ask. Jeremiah 13, verse 23. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Is that a sin to have skin changed? Is that a sin for the leopard to change his spots? Of course not. But this is asking a rhetorical question. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? No, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Guess what? We need help. That's the deal. We need help. We cannot change our sinner orientation. It just, we just cannot do it. No possible. That's why Jesus, by the way, who defeated our same enemy while he was here and by his death on the cross, died to deliver us. Only Jesus has the power to save from that sin. Any sin. And that's why Jesus, when he said, hey, boys and girls, I want to teach you how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. That's why Jesus said, I need you to pray that. Because you're going to face the evil one. You're going to face attractions that could pull you in where you never want to go. So pray every day, Lord, lead me not into temptation today. Deliver me from the evil. Deliver me from the evil one. But is it a sin? Come on, Dwight, answer the question. Is it a sin? This this 11-year-old says, tell me, is it a sin to be bisexual? Is it a sin to be straight? Is it a sin to be gay? Is it a sin to feel the attractions of a lesbian? Is it a sin to be trans, transgender? If I have those attractions, am I automatically now lost? No, you are not. The attractions are not sin. 
Jesus felt the fury of three withering assaults. Don't you dare tell me it was nothing to him. It was everything to him. And he fell to the ground dying. That's how bad it was. I don't resist sin to that degree. No, when we pray that prayer every day, Jesus is able to do just that, deliver us from evil. He honors our free choice. He doesn't kick the door down. I'm here. Now, you will do what I tell you. No, you want to do that, girl? Boy, you want to do that? Okay. You're playing with dynamite, and it'll kill you. If you don't come to me, it'll kill you. But we have to take the Bible at its word. And what does Jude 24 declare? Tiny little book just before Revelation. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you for his, be, before his glorious presence without what? What's that word? Without fault. He can keep you from stumbling. You do not have to yield to those attractions. He can keep you, Dwight, he can keep you from stumbling. This isn't just good news for an 11-year-old. This is good news for every human being on this planet. He can keep us from stumbling without fault. And by the way, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Yeah, but is it a sin? No. No sexual orientation, no sexual attraction is a sin. Okay, let me follow it up with, a, with this question. Then is it a sin to act on our sexual attractions? Well, that depends. The Bible is clear that our Creator has chosen for us to live out our sexual attractions inside the protective walls of a one-flesh marriage between a man and a woman. The command from the Maker of all things who loves and wants me and loves and wants you is a command because He knows exactly how you and I are wired. I got this great iPhone in my hip pocket. It always is with me everywhere. Don't ask me to explain to you an iPhone. Don't ask me to defend to you the circuitry of an iPhone. Don't ask me to repair an iPhone. I know diddly squat. I just know this thing works. And do you know why? Somebody designed it. There's somebody on this planet who says, hey, that's nothing to me. I designed it. It's supposed to work that way. And when it doesn't work, I can fix it. Somebody designed it. I'm not the designer. If the designer says, you don't do this with an iPhone, I don't do this with an iPhone. Why? Because the designer knows. Our creator, the maker of all things who loves and wants us, knows exactly how we've been designed. It's not his fault. He knows it. That's a good thing. He knows it. And given the post-fall world where all has been scrambled by this dark, fallen Prince, rebel, the old serpent named devil, the devil and Satan. Thanks to this scrambled up world, everything is in confusion now. That doesn't mean the creator doesn't know how to fix an iPhone. <laughs> that doesn't mean the creator doesn't know how to handle sex. He knows how to handle sex. I made sex. I made you to be attracted. And I know that it'll kill you if you don't come to me. If you do not give me your sex... It'll kill you. I promise you. I will not kill you. I will let you 
kill yourself. I have to. It's free choice. The moment I put my hand, oh, you can't touch her. She, she, she's choosing this way. The moment I reach out, oh, you can't touch him. He wants it this way. We play by the same rules. He can't touch you either when I have you. Now, it's just like Joseph. Joseph, who, by the way, is a powerful symbol of, 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 of the Lord Jesus. Now, the maker of all things knew he would need to be protected of this explosive power. One flesh union between partners. He said that inside those those walls, you'll be just fine. Which, by the way, speaking of one flesh, is why, we'll get to Joseph in a second, is why Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. Now, he's writing to a people who live in a port, a a seaport city. And oh, man, seaport cities tend to be cities that attract about everything on the planet. Corinth was no no exception. I mean, promiscuous. Now, for for my 11-year-old friend, promiscuous means that which is is commonly agreed is is living way outside the bounds of morality. Corinth was promiscuous. And so Paul goes and plants a church in Corinth. And then he writes this letter to them. He says, guys, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? And here's what he says in this letter. Watch this. Do you not know? Yo, you guys don't understand this because it's been just a little while since you've turned from pagan to the believer in Christ. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then? See, this body belongs to Jesus. He bought it at the cross. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Now, what part of my body is the member that Paul's talking about? It doesn't take rocket science to figure that out. And, and, and Paul is saying, you don't do that. You don't, you, don't, you don't couple to her outside the protective walls of a marriage between a man and a woman. You don't, you don't couple with people. You know, hook up. You're going to give your body to, to become one flesh because one flesh still works. Do you want to be one flesh with a prostitute? No, I only wanted to have an evening. Well, guess what? You're one flesh with her for the rest of your life. You like that thought? No. Well, that's what I'm telling you, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Knock off this hooking up stuff. You don't. You, you, you keep your body pure. Why? Because as he says here in verse 19, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the temples of the Holy Spirit? Every one of you is a little mini temple. Why does the Holy Spirit need a temple? Because the Holy Spirit has no form. If he were standing right here, and he is, he said, Dwight, you can't touch me. I'm talking to you right now, boy. You cannot touch me. But I need your body to be my temple. I need, a head, I need headquarters on this, this, this fallen culture and world. You be my headquarters. I'm going to live in you. That's what Paul is saying. Don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Let's talk about Calvary. I'm standing here at the foot of the cross. They just sang about it. Jesus, I'm falling in love with you. Why? Because he emptied himself. He took on my orientation to the max. And he said, in your strength, I defeated the enemy. And then I died as a substitute for you so that you will never die. Not forever. Come to me. She who has me has life. He who has me has life. Come to me. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
No, we're all under that. In fact, when Mrs. Potiphar comes to Joseph and she says, boy, let's sleep together because you are a handsome. And it says he was very handsome. So she says, you are attractive to me. I hope I'm attracted to you. When she says sleep with me, then Joseph has one answer. How then could I do such a thing, such a wicked thing and sin against you, Mrs. Potiphar? Is that what he says? I'm sinning against you. How could I sin against Mr. Potiphar who's not even in the house right now? How can I sin against me? No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Once you have a friendship with Jesus, you belong to somebody. Paul says, don't give your body to a prostitute. What are you thinking? You want to be one flesh with her, with him? You don't want to be one flesh with him. I'm telling you, it may be fine tonight, but you're you're going to feel bad in the morning. And all the showers you take won't wash it away. You don't need to be hooked up. You, You stay with me. Wow. Joseph has given us a little example here. Yeah, but Dwight, do you know what? Okay, okay, thank, thank God for Joseph. But I'm going to tell you something. Pastor, I hope you're listening to me, this 11-year-old is saying to me. I hope you're listening to me because I want to tell you something. That is not fair. God created me with my attractions. And I should have the right to live out those attractions the way that is natural for me. Girl, I want to tell you something. You are absolutely right. It is not fair. It is not fair at all that a powerful rebel angel has come down to this earth and because Adam and Eve surrendered their their rulership to him, this planet is now under his dominion, this old serpent called the devil and Satan. No, you are right, girl. It is not fair. But the devil now plays havoc with our emotions and our chemistries and our attractions and our behaviors. He is a terrible taskmaster. And once he gets a hold of us, now I'm telling you, with all the fangs and the claws he has, he will not let go unless somebody intervenes. Of course it's not fair. You are absolutely right. The devil is for one dark passion, and that is to force, to deceive every creature, the intelligent creation of God, into a life under the devil's control, far away from living in control of our own attractions. He said, no, you're not going to, you're going to listen to me. You understand me? I am your Lord. You didn't tell me that, but I'm telling you, you have accepted my rulership. You behave now as I tell you, and the more you behave, the more I hold you of course, it's not fair. It wasn't fair for Jesus, a single. Was he heterosexual? Let's just assume he was. He was a Jew, red-blooded Jewish male. It was not fair for Jesus to have to come down here and to hold it, to resist the powerful attractions that the human is created with and never to be married. That was not fair either. You want to talk about fairness? It hasn't been fair for anybody since we fell. There's no way we can play that card in front of God. It's not fair. And you have to let me do it. He says, I don't play that card. It's illogical. This isn't about fairness now. This is about getting out of here. You're either going to be a sinner orientation or you're going to be a saved orientation. And I'm begging you while we have time, move from here to here. But the Bible is very clear about this. That if we act out our sexual attractions outside of marriage between a man and a woman, 
the, the creator says, listen, listen, you got to trust me. I, I invented the iPhone. I invented your beautiful, beautiful system. Even though it's out of whack, it's still under my power to sustain and to nourish. If you disobey what I have told you is a deadly danger, you are sinning. You are sinning. And you are staying in the sinner orientation when I'm trying to get you out, girl. I'm trying to get you out, boy. I'm trying to get you out of that orientation. Oh, I'll just wait. I'll have a little bit of fun. And then when I get older, I'll just switch. No, you won't. You will not switch. I don't care what you mean by switch. You will not switch. The longer you live under the dominion of the dark rebel, the deeper his claws go in your mind and your body. And he says, I have you. Don't believe him. He doesn't have you. Jesus died for the right to say, she's mine. He is mine. Don't touch him. It's a sin. In fact, a very bright uh, New Testament scholar who teaches at a rather uh, Ivy League school called Duke University, he wrote the book, uh, The Moral Vision of the New Testament. His name is Richard Hayes. He has a big chapter in the middle of that book dealing with ethics. He's an ethicist. And to the 11-year-old, I'm saying an ethicist is somebody who, who studies the behavior that flows from being a follower of Christ. So he has a whole chapter on what he calls homosexuality. It's very interesting. He grew up with a, with a gay friend. They went to Yale together. This friend uh, did not believe that, that uh, he needed to hold in on uh, his uh, same-gender attractions, and so the friend lived his life. He's still friends with uh, Richard Hayes. And then along the way, the friend became a Christian. A friend started reading literature that says, hey, the Bible actually allows you to have this attraction. You're okay. A friend read that literature, and he's a bright mind, went to Yale. And he says, you know what? This is disingenuous. This kind of logic is just bonk. However it impinges on my life, I will accept the authority of this word. He died of AIDS, but he died a believer in the Lord Jesus. So Richard Hayes is not describing something he has not experienced with a friend. Anyway, Richard Hayes said, hey, guys, there are only five or six uh, passages in all of Scripture. That's it. This is not a huge conversation in Scripture at all. But he says if you take those five or six passages, and he carefully examines all of them, he says, he says the Bible speaks with a... With, the Bible's command is univocal. Now, I'm talking to my 11-year-old friend, and we don't use those, that kind of wording when we're 11, but univocal means speaks with one voice, all right? So he says, I've looked at all these, these five or six passages very carefully, and I can tell you that the Bible is univocal. It speaks with one voice in its condemnation of same-gender sex, what Richard Hayes calls homoerotic behavior. Now, those are two big words that an 11-year-old doesn't have to worry about. But that's what he's saying is you're acting it out, same gender sex. The Bible is univocal in condemning it. There's no question. I don't care how many books get written in a desperate effort to change the Bible. You can't change it. The brightest minds on earth know. And the Bible refers to such activity as sin. But the 
very good news is that Jesus offers us the power to live above any and all sin. That's why Paul is teaching his friends in court. Yo, guys, I'm telling you, I got some good news for you. I know who I know your lifestyle. I know what your orientation was before, but I got good news for you. Watch this. This is first uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Same chapter we were just in a moment ago. Hey, guys, I'm writing to you followers of Jesus Christ. Now, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, I think we knew that. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, ooh, that just kind of takes in the whole human race, doesn't it? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, well, that's, that fits for us. We could say, yep. Yeah. Nor adulterers, ooh. That doesn't matter your orientation. It's just adultery. You're, you're, you're doing sex outside of the protective walls of marriage. Oh, man. Nor men who have sex with men. Oh, that's pretty clear now. But they didn't stop there. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, people who have their appetites out of control, nor slanderers, that would be gossipers. Fortunately, there are no gossipers in our, our little faith community here. But he's, he's going after them. That's good news. Nor slanderers, nor swindlers, thank you for that great children's story. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what we do, some people who like to go to this text, they take only one line, men having sex with men. Ha-ha, this is what I'm here to champion. Why? If you're Paul, that's not what you were championing. You, you gave a laundry list of dirty clothes, and you said, this is all of us. Describing himself, I'm sure, Now watch this. He, there's that laundry list. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God, but that is what some of you were. You were that. Do you know what it means when it says you were? That means you are no longer that. Do you see that? He didn't say you are that. He says you were that. Well, hey, run, me the, run that list by me again, Dwight. No, you run through yourself. You already saw the list. He says, you were that, but you were washed. Somebody cleaned you up. You were sanctified. That means you were set aside for God's exclusive use. You were justified. That means somebody took your place. And if you believe in him, all your sins, your entire past is washed away. Your sins are forgiven. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Man, this is not bad news. Because every one of us has been born in the sinner orientation. This is good news. He's just reminding us that because of Jesus' death, we can move from sinner orientation to saved orientation. Is that bad? No, that's good. That's the only orientation that counts. For Paul. Wow. That's a powerful promise. Though we are all tempted to act out our sexual attractions outside of God's plan for marriage, and though we have all fallen in acting out those forbidden same gender or opposite gender sexual attractions, this, this, this cuts both ways. There is no ISO here. This is saying, you see the list. It's all of us. And then Paul mentions the Holy Spirit right there at the end. 
That's, a, that, that's the goal that God has for you. Hey, listen, that's the vision God has for you and me. Jesus says, I want to move you from sinner orientation to saved orientation. Would you be willing to move? If I do it, would you be willing to go with me? But, but of course, my Lord, my body, mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. My body is your body. Come on in. I'll treat it the way you help me treat it. I'm not asking you to take away my attractions. That would be like saying, take me out of this world. No, no, no. He doesn't want to take you out of the world. He wants to leave you in the world. Because as a friend of his, you're going to make a difference wherever you go. Oh, so yes, young lady, it is possible that an 11-year-old child can begin to who is beginning to wonder whether she is bisexual or not, it is possible for that 11-year-old child to know, one, that Jesus loves and wants her, and two, that he's promised to keep her living in a way that will be faithful to his lordship in her life. So I want to say to you, girl, thank you for sending me your note. It was helpful for me. And I know that you probably guessed I've been praying for you. Can't read your name, but I'm praying for you. And you are not too young at 11 to decide to honor your maker and your savior and offering him, I love you back, Jesus. Eleven's the perfect age to cry out to him, I love you back, Lord, maker of all things. Now, it's true. I got to warn you. Your friends may make fun of you. Mm-hmm. They're the ones, perhaps, that even planted this seed in your mind in the first place. They may make fun of you. And if you have friends who are living out their same gender sexual attraction with others, they may try hard to change your mind and tell you you can never go back to what Jesus wants you to be and how Jesus wants you to live. You can't go back. This is it. This is what you're stuck with. You are this now for the rest of your life. Do not believe them. Do not believe them. It's a lie. That doesn't mean your attractions won't go away. If you're old enough to know what they are. But it means you don't have to act on those attractions. Jesus didn't. You don't have to either. That is what some of you were. But now you've moved from sinner orientation to saved orientation. Paul is saying, stay there. This is, this is his temple. Up here, here, all the way down is his temple. Take good care of his house. <coughs> I'm proud of you, 11-year-old friend of mine. And I'm praying for you real hard. Because I happen to believe that Jesus has some very special plans for your life. I don't know who you are or where I should be looking right now, but I guess I could be just pretty much safe in looking at you and saying, I believe Jesus has some very special plans for your life. Don't sell yourself short.
You were bought with a price. You belong to the king of the universe who will take you on a trip that you will never regret for as long as you live. So listen, if you need somebody to talk to, give me a call. You know where you can find me. Give me a call. We can talk. Maybe your parents don't know. Bring them along. We can talk. I'd be glad to visit with you because this much I know. Jesus dearly loves you. And so do I. Let's pray. Oh, God. Oh, God. Thank you for Jesus. What else can we say? He's our only hope. He is our only help. And we call out to you. We, with the orientation of sinner, we call out to you. Move us, Jesus, to your life as you lived it on this planet right now. Oh, and by the way, Jesus, we love you back. Amen.